Hello, I'm Neil Apt, Editorial Director of Transport Topics. I'm joined by Seth Clevenger, Technology Editor. We want to welcome you to today's Live on Web. It's part two of the people, equipment, and technology that will help shape trucking moving forward. As a reminder, part one ran last month, and a replay is available at liveonweb.ttnews.com, as well as YouTube and iTunes. Our sponsors for today's chat are PeopleNet and SkyBits. And later on, we'll play some clips from a panel discussion we hosted at ATA's management conference and exhibition last month in Philadelphia, focusing on fleet safety technologies. We'll also play an interview with Tom McLeod, CEO of McLeod Software, who will provide some perspective on the growth of technology and trucking over the last 30 years. But we're going to begin with Derek Rotz. He's Director of Advanced Engineering for Daimler Trucks North America. He was at ATA's conference. Uh, and at Daimler's booth, they had both the Inspiration Truck, the autonomous driving truck, as well as their version of the Super Truck. Both, both vehicles generated a lot of buzz in the exhibit hall, and we were able to grab him for a few minutes to help shed some light about these vehicles. Let's take a look at the clip. Okay, I'm here with Derek Rotz. He's the Director of Advanced Engineering for Daimler Trucks North America. Derek, thank you for taking a few minutes with us today to speak with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, we're going to get into a little of the uh, super truck and uh, inspiration truck and a couple other things in a minute, but I want to start a little bit with your background. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself sure. and how you got into trucking and how long you've been with Daimler. Sure. Yeah, so I've been with Daimler now since uh, 1997, so it's been about 18 years. Um, I actually got my start within the Mercedes passenger car group uh, and did a, a two-year stint over in Stuttgart, so got a chance to understand how the... Uh, uh, what it means to be doing German engineering, as it were. So, um, and then I, I came over to uh, Portland in 1998 and um, spent my time doing electrical electronic engineering. Um, some of the projects I worked on over that course of the time was um, uh, predictive cruise control. That was one project I headed up in the 2005-2009 time frame. And, and the goal there was to design a cruise control application which um, uses 3D maps and GPS to basically uh, let the vehicle ride the hills in a more fuel-efficient manner. Um, once that program ended in 2009, then there was this opportunity that came up um, within the uh, Department of Energy to do a, a research program. And uh, basically that program was called Supertruck. Um, and the goal of the program was to, to build a prototype vehicle which was 50% more freight efficient than the uh, baseline 2009 Cascadia. So just, just to be clear, Portland, uh, that was referenced, that's the headquarters of Daimler Trucks North America. You're originally right. from the States, is that correct? I'm originally, yeah, I'm originally from Minnesota and okay. uh, moved over to uh, Portland then. In, in so the you did a few days. years in Germany and then, then you came back and now you're in Portland exactly. uh, on a full-time basis. Exactly. Okay, you, you referenced Supertruck. Uh, it was, uh, ju just to be clear, Supertruck is a program that uh, the Department of Energy oversaw. The name Supertruck is more about the grant program and about Department of Energy sort of encouraging truck makers and other suppliers to sort of push the envelope on, on fuel efficiency and, and the like. It is not a, a, a term coined by, say, Daimler or a Freightliner. That's a Department of Energy term, j just so we're clear. Is that, that, that correct? That, that's correct. That's correct. The, 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 the program, the name, uh, the idea came from the U.S. Department of Energy, and uh, there was grants awarded to uh, all four major uh, OEMs, uh, truck OEMs in, in North America. Mm -hmm. And so we all had that same sort of target to really push the envelope for, for the uh, fuel efficiency and freight efficiency as well. So, so uh, this was the vehicle that was uh, uh, Daimler had brought to the Mid-America Trucking Show and it was one of their showcase pieces there. 
uh, we talk there. We also uh, have had a couple chances between uh, March and, and now in October to to uh, talk. So I know a little bit about the background, but let's talk about the, the, the uh, super truck. I know you're, you're very heavily involved in it. We're a big part of that press conference. If you could share for anyone that might not be as familiar with it, really what went into building it uh, and and if you could share some of the details, some some of what sets yeah. it apart from maybe some of the vehicles that are currently on the road right now. Sure, sure. That's a, that's a great, great point. So, I mean, the super truck, um, basically from an engineering point of view, we really had to look at all aspects of the vehicle and, and leave no stone unturned. And so we, we did a, a deep dive analysis on our, on our baseline vehicle to really understand where all the energy is going and uh, really just... Um, pushing the envelope as it were, because the 50% was really an aggressive target, and when we started the program, we weren't really sure how, how well we'd be able to, to achieve it. So, so we looked really heavily in the aerodynamic side, uh, both on the tractor and the trailer, um, which was a great opportunity, by the way, because normally we study, as Daimler, we study tractor aerodynamics, uh, didn't look so much into the trailer and, and the combination of the two. So there was some good, good benefits there that we had to, in learning exercises. Um, also, there was an engine program, so Detroit uh, was our partner on the engine side, and they looked at all aspects of the engine, including combustion efficiencies, turbocharging, after-treatment, um, all, all sorts of aspects there that, that impact fuel. And so, um, as, as we progressed through the program, we, we looked at individual systems, we figured out what the potentials were, and then, and then about halfway through the program, then we integrated those into a vehicle to see if we can actually get everything to work together. And uh, fortunately enough, at that point, we were starting to see some good progress and feeling pretty confident that we're going to reach the goal. Mm -hmm. And the, the fuel efficiency um, was very high. Uh, do you remember right. offhand uh, uh, the exact amount of yeah. that, that was proclaimed through the tests that, that you've achieved so far? Exactly. So, so with our testing, we, uh, we tested on several different routes. Uh, one of the more representative routes would have been the uh, uh, I-35 in Texas between San Antonio and Dallas. And over five days of testing on there, we averaged 12.2 uh, miles per gallon. So that means driving at 65 miles an hour and 65,000 pounds gross vehicle weight. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was in uh, uh, Las Vegas at an event uh, in, in, in May, I went on a test drive of, of Super Truck, and, and I, I was provided a, uh, an iPad so I could follow along as we were going to see all the individual pieces at work uh, to make this happen. And, and it really was uh, a lot for me to take in while we were on the road. Uh, it was a unique experience for me to sort of have to hold an iPad and, and click here to see it. It was a very, very interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, I want to transition to uh, Inspiration Truck also. Sure. Uh, this was the, the, the uh, uh, truck in Nevada that, that was licensed to travel on Nevada roads. It was that high-profile event uh, earlier this year in Nevada. The, the official unveiling was at the uh, Hoover Dam. Uh, with Martin Dom, president of Daimler Trucks North America, also uh, mm -hmm. uh, Wolfgang Bernard, the uh, head of the global head of uh, Daimler's uh, commercial vehicles, uh, were there, received uh, lots of national media attention beyond just a trucking press, really international attention. I know it's on yeah. display here, has received a lot of buzz at this uh, exhibit hall. I wonder if you could, people that might not be that familiar with that vehicle also, if you can share a little bit uh, about that one. Right, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, sort of the background behind the Inspiration Truck is the, is the belief that, that uh, adding additional automated features on a vehicle will help improve safety as well as improve fuel economy. 
And so when you, when you look at how the industry has progressed over the past uh, several years and decades, actually, we've made leaps and bounds in terms of our ability to reduce uh, traffic accidents, uh, to improve safety, as well as improve fuel economy. And we've reached a pretty good point. But, but moving forward, we still want to keep, keep pushing the envelope on, on that front as well. Um, Daimler has this sort of uh, has this uh, vision to uh, achieve accident-free driving um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the future time frame. So that's what really focuses our engineers on that. Uh, so the inspiration truck comes from that. Uh, what we do is we look at uh, basically um, a system called a highway pilot, which uh, when you're on the freeway and you're, you're driving normally in a cruise control mode, uh, you can set the highway pilot active and it will take care of all the steering, uh, braking, and accelerating for you. So, in fairness to everyone in the industry here, you guys are not alone in working on some of the autonomous technology. It is the only one that's here at the exhibit hall. This is not driverless. This is autonomous driving capabilities that a driver must be in the seat. I also did a test drive at this event. It was clicked into autonomous mode on the interstate in Las Vegas. It was somewhat anticlimactic at the moment. You expected something to happen, and, and, and I guess that, that's sort of the point, that uh, some of this already exists, and this is pushing the envelope, as you said, but it was clicked in. The driver sort of turned to me in the hand and started talking to us that were in this test drive, but right. there was no dramatic, uh, there wasn't right. a big, big <laughs> fireworks, uh, fireworks display. It really was. It's in yep. autonomous mode, this advanced, predictive, adaptive cruise control. I guess that's part of the point that maybe right. that, that you guys want to get across, that right. this sort of exists already. Exactly. I mean, we, we certainly want to, we develop what we call driver assistance systems, and so we're looking at assisting the driver in those tasks. Uh, by, by all means, we envision the, the driver to be in the, in the vehicle at all times and be ready to take over control if, if circumstances warrant it. And so, so we definitely see it as a, as a, as a, uh, a complementary part to the overall driving experience. Um, as, as I like to think about it it, it, it also sort of helps elevate the profile of the driver. I like to start thinking the, of the driver as more of a, uh, let's say, the captain of their own ship, so to say. You know, there's, there's some automated low-level features, but then, the, but then as captain, the driver is having to make sure that all the, all the systems are in place, all the pre-trip inspections are taking place, the cargo is secure, all those things to make sure that that freight arrives safely and on time. And if I remember correctly, it was presented that approximately 60% of, of some of these technologies uh, exist today. I might be talking going back yeah. also in part to super truck. If you can oh, talk, yeah. if you yeah. can, between the two, yeah. if you can clarify a little bit, what is really street ready? What is there and sure. real today? And, and, and how much do you project out that's near term, longer term? I know we've had some discussions. If you could yeah. just clarify a little bit where this stands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at safety systems and, and, and uh, automation, I mean, that's been a, a sort of a decades-long trend that's, that's occurring. I mean, going back to, from cruise control to anti-lock brakes, for example, um, moving on to roll stability control, electronic stability control, what you're seeing is this sort of evolution as we build upon additional capabilities. Um, you know, today on our vehicles, you off we offer a lane departure warning. In fact, the industry offers lane departure warning using cameras to uh, detect where the vehicle is in its lane. We offer, uh, the industry offers as well, uh, adaptive cruise control and what we call uh, active brake assist. So a lot of these components, such as the cameras and the radar systems, are, are already in place. Um, and then when you look at sort of really uh, niche applications, um, if you have like a twin steer and whatnot, we already have sort of steering systems in place that help do the, uh, the, the assisted steering as well. So 
Uh, the uh, inspiration truck that you look at is primarily consisting out of production components. Uh, what we've added to it to make it happen is the software. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of traffic all throughout the exhibit hall, certainly peeking at, at some of these trucks. What has been the reaction? I assume there's a lot of probably ooing and eyeing. I, I, would ex yeah. I would suspect that there might be some people that, skeptical or at least yeah. have some serious questions about what, what, what you guys are doing so they could understand it better. What yeah. has the reaction been? Uh, I mean, the reaction has been, um, firstly, of surprise uh, and, 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 and serious uh, interest. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of questions that are out there. People are really engaging, and so that's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing. Um, certainly there are some concerns. I think primarily, as we talked about earlier, the, the thought that it might be a driverless vehicle, which, which by no means is the, is the case for us. We, we certainly um, see a path to making a driver assistance system, but we, 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 you know, we're not looking beyond that. Um, so that, that's one thing that we, we've, we've been talking about. Um, the, the second sort of feedback that we're seeing is, well, how does the system work in uh, inclement weather? So when the weather gets bad, how is the system working if you've got snow on the road? Um, and here, ba basically, when, when the conditions don't allow for automated driving, then it's basically you drive in manual mode. Um, if the cameras can't see the lane markings, um, then, you, then you wouldn't drive in automated mode. And, and, and as always before, I mean, common sense prevails, so the driver needs to be able to make the decisions when it's safe to drive or not. Um, and then the last, last comments that we've kind of heard are in the topics of uh, like V2V and wireless communications, uh, that is vehicle-to-vehicle uh, -vehicle communications. Um, and then there's some talk about what about privacy concerns and cyber concerns and that. Um, and I can only say with the, the Inspiration truck as it's designed uh, doesn't require any, any V2V or wireless communications. It's, it's purely using the cameras and the radar and basically uh, it's a self-contained unit being able to keep the, uh, the truck centered in its lane. And, and between what's going on with you guys uh, uh, in, in North America and as well as, as uh, in Europe, I have a feeling very rapidly we're going to continue to see little these incremental improvements in some of these technologies and this is a process that would, this is a snowball I, I, I get the sense that, that is really going to pick up uh, and more and more we're going to be yeah. hearing the development of this. And that, that's, a, that's a great way to, to, to phrase it because uh, how, how I view the technology development is incremental and evolutionary and so you know, when we think of auto autonomous driving, we may think about all these unique traffic conditions and all these complex scenarios, when in reality what we're doing is we're taking sort of an incremental stepwise approach and adding additional features to enhance safety uh, over the, you know, the previous versions. And so that's why in, in the trucking world it seems to make a lot of sense to look at a, a highway pilot or an or a automated vehicle because uh, all the highway driving that's being done on the interstates and so on, and that's really where it's easy to, to, to implement it in the first phase. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Derek, for taking a few minutes to join us today on Live on Web. Sure. It was my pleasure. I appreciate it, Neil. Thank you again, Derek, for taking the time to speak with us. Yeah, Neil, I think it's definitely helpful to look at autonomous driving technology as a natural extension of the active safety systems that are already on the market, collision mitigation, uh, lane departure warnings, and uh, taking those to the next level to further improve safety. Uh, ultimately, though, the, the driver is, is still the centerpiece. There's still a driver in the cab, and that driver needs to be ready to take over at a moment's notice. Now, related to that, we received a number of questions and comments leading up to the program today. Many of them dealt with, with two separate but related areas. Uh, it, it was about how this, the technology that we've been talking about, how is that going to help recruit the next generation of young drivers? Uh, also, they want to know, uh, people want to know, 
does this change what a driver is? How many hours possibly a driver could be able to drive? Uh, I think uh, those are very good questions. One that going to be a little bit further down the road. Uh, I know some of the truck makers, both here in, uh, in North America and in Europe, uh, that, that are at the forefront of these technologies have sort of positioned a driver as more than a driver. It's been discussed as a logistics manager, someone that can, can take a little bit more control of, of his or her own, own life, own business, um, with, a, with the aid of, of a, a truck that on some stretches can, can drive itself, take some of the stress off. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's so much that still needs to be proven with these technologies. We've seen with hours of service, it's difficult with the trucks we have today to successfully get everyone to agree on what the rules are with hours of service. So a little bit, little bit in the future to get to the point about uh, how many hours can someone drive. But I do think these questions and comments show both the level of interest that is growing out there with these technologies, as well as some of the questions, some of the discussions that are likely going to happen a little bit further down the road as these technologies develop and become a bit more accepted. Yeah. And next, we'd like to revisit transport topics. General session at MCNE, which delved into many of these same questions. That session featured a presentation by Captain Jeff Skiles, who was co-pilot on the U.S. Airways flight that made an emergency landing on the Hudson River back in 2009, uh, an event now known as the Miracle in the Hudson. Uh, Captain Skiles made it clear, though, that it wasn't really a miracle. It was the result of uh, human training and uh, standardized safety procedures. After his presentation, we hosted a panel discussion that brought in fleet safety experts from three major trucking companies to discuss what our industry can learn from that example. Uh, we're going to go ahead and run a clip from that session to review some of the insights our panelists shared, including their thoughts on autonomous trucks and examples of the driver assist technologies that they are using today. Let's play the video. I'm Seth Clevenger, technology editor at Transport Topics, and I'll be moderating a panel discussion that will take a deeper look at what we in trucking can learn from this example. The miracle in the Hudson serves as an inspiration for us all, and it surely has a special resonance for the people who work every day in the trucking industry to ensure the safe transportation of goods. It also demonstrates the immeasurable value of human training and human skill and human preparedness in the face of danger, even at a time when advanced technology enables us to automate more and more processes that were once performed uh, manually, either by a person in the cockpit of a plane or in the uh, cab of a truck. To help us explore this matter further, we've assembled a distinguished panel of fleet safety experts to join Captain Skiles in this discussion. Please allow me to introduce Brian Kinsey, President and CEO at Brown Integrated Logistics. Greg Kowalski, Senior Director of Safety at Conway Freight. And Rob Penner, President and Chief Operating Officer at Bison Transport. Let's get started. Well, thank you gentlemen for joining us. And uh, we have many, uh, many lessons that I think we can apply from, from Jeff's story to, to us in the trucking industry and uh, who are working every day to uh, ensure the, the safety of, uh, of our operations. And I think one very obvious parallel between Jeff's story and what we're seeing in the trucking industry now is the use of autopilot in the airlines and uh, you know, the continued movement toward autonomous driving technology and we, uh, in fact, we have a, a concept vehicle on display in the 
uh, exhibit hall here as uh, you know, yet another example of that. Uh, and my question to the panel is, uh, you know, what, what, is your, uh, what are your thoughts on this technology? Uh, how much promise do you see in autonomous driving to, uh, to assist the drivers that, uh, that move uh, uh, America's freight? Uh, Greg? So, great question, Seth. You know, as uh, we look at our OEMs today, they're, they're driving the technology and the opportunity to provide greater driver assist um, technology. Um, when I think about the autonomous vehicle, and that is out in the future, and we look forward to that day, um, but in reality what it's doing is taking those driver assist technologies that we have today and making them better. So as an example, that forward collision mitigation and warning systems, today only recognize a moving vehicle. The opportunity in the future that it you know, recognizes a, a stationary object in the roadway, a vehicle, and then beyond that opportunity to understand um, a pedestrian, something in the roadway that's non-metallic. And as they strive for this vehicle that can drive itself um, with the driver piloting the uh, equipment, it's only gonna make us safer and better in today's world. Other thoughts from the panelists? I completely agree with, uh, with Greg. We've spent the last 15 years really uh, working with technology try to wrap it around the driver to assist it, but I think that you'll see a transition where, uh, where we, we have the driver really optimizing technology. And that some of the advancements that, uh, that we're making with camera systems and, uh, and visibility tools for drivers, you know, as, as, we've, as we've evolved in our industry, um, you know, the, dr the main function of a driving job was really learning how to operate the truck itself. And, uh, our business is so much more complex and so much more congested. Um, and we can see more than a driver can see out of a windshield. So, so providing tools and technology to assist the driver makes nothing but sense. Some thoughts on it, Brian? I agree completely with uh, Greg and, and Rob. Uh, I think it's a great parallel uh, with aviation. Uh, they've had autopilots for more than a generation, more over 20 years. Uh, there's still two guys in, or two people in the uh, in the cockpit uh, that need to operate the, the vehicle, uh, need to drive it, uh, even with the autopilot there. But the tools that the autopilot provide make those two people, and in our case, the person that's behind the wheel, a safer person. <clears throat> the the uh, ability to react more quickly electronically. Uh, to speed up uh, the reaction time, for example, using uh, brake assist, uh, you know, when you recognize um, a, a hazard and you uh, move your foot from the accelerator, the brake takes three quarters of a second. Uh, maybe the, <clears throat> the brake assist can do that in one tenth of a second, speeding up and, and reducing the risk of a crash. Yeah. And uh, Captain Skiles is a person who's uh, made this transition firsthand uh, in the airline industry. Uh, could you take us through your experiences as a, as a pilot as more and more automation and more and more functions uh, turn to autopilot and uh, you know, how difficult was it to make that transition and to trust the onboard technology uh, as you went through it? That's actually a good way of phrasing it. Uh, uh, when I entered the industry, I think that pilots were very much as where truck drivers are today. Uh, it was it was a skill you learned it you and you you, were, you flew the airplane from here to there. 
there were some uh, fairly advanced uh, uh, safety devices, but, but really they've been developed over the last 20 or 25 years. And integrating those has, has not been uh, seamless. Uh, you've got a, uh, you know, you've got a group of people and drivers, or in our case, and pilots, who aren't used to being system managers. And that's really what you become, is you become more of a system, system manager. Um, what we found in our industry oftentimes is that, you know, it just as anybody can understand, young people can adapt easier than, than old people, older people. Uh, and the, the older people in our profession found it difficult to adapt to these new systems um, when they were first introduced. Fortunately, it's happened over a period of decades, and they essentially retired out at the end, but, but it definitely was a problem at first. And any uh, quick uh, advice to the, those of us in the trucking industry who are you know, just now uh, exploring these technologies and, and wondering you know, what, what it holds for the future uh, as, we, as we move toward the same type of systems? Well, I think as I, I, I think I covered pretty heavily, or at least I attempted to in my presentation, but it's more than just uh, bringing the, the, uh, the technology to the road. It is, there's the other component of it training your people to use the technology, getting your people used to using and to trusting the technology, because that's where you're really going to see the benefits uh, of any kind of new safety technology. And I think a key uh, point to bear in mind is the, the autonomous trucks that are being uh, tested and demonstrated today, they're still a driver. These are not driverless trucks. These are ultimately the next uh, step in the evolution toward um, you know, safer, uh, active safety systems that make the job of the driver easier and safer. Uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, there will be drivers in, in the truck. And uh, you know, the question is, you know, how do we help uh, that driver do the best jo job possible? And we've been talking about some technologies that uh, could become available on the horizon, autonomous driving, uh, platooning technologies being tested. Um, but there are also many technologies available today that, uh, that uh, you guys have already implemented, have you already uh, de deployed across your fleets. Uh, perhaps you could uh, share some examples of the systems that you are using today, um, and uh, as well as some, some examples of the results you've, you've seen. Rob? Sure. Um, we've been early adopters of technology to try to do everything we can to support our driver in that job and make sure that if there is a moment of distraction or, uh, or a mistake made, that we provide as much support as we possibly can. Uh, we've been touting safety and we were really focused on compliance for our entire, uh, for our entire uh, uh, development of our business and quickly recognized that there are many other things that we can do to be safe. So um, automation, automated transmissions, uh, although people say they like to shift, um, focusing on the road and the surroundings around it, around them is much more important than, than gear selection. Collision avoidance, um, we've been in it uh, right from the very start, looking at collision mitigation, uh, warning systems, lane departure. Uh, we're exploring the, the uh, concept of cameras um, to, to, again, try to understand how the driver's performing and what, uh, and what it is that we can actually, actually train for. Um, and driver ergonomics are very important to us as well, making sure that we do everything we can to manage fatigue. Um, and fatigue scenarios uh, evolve no matter how compliant you are. So, so whether, it's, uh, whether it's the uh, Bose ride seat, whether it's our uh, testing for sleep apnea, making sure that we have a well-rested alert driver.
great. Uh, other panelists, uh, some, some thoughts on the systems that you guys have already rolled out and, uh, and the results that you've seen. So at, at Conway, we've rolled out the collision mitigation, collision warning systems that Rob had mentioned, and we had great results from that. Um, and as we evolved with it to Captain Skiles mentioned, it's, it's more about the person, the, the operator of the vehicle. So uh, over, just over two years ago, we deployed the, the Lytics drive cam um, camera system to understand those behaviors that uh, our drivers are doing that lead up to those opportunities to where that techni technology is kicking in to assist them or prevent them. And that's really helped shape the direction of our safety um, at Conway Freight. It's really allowed us to identify those behaviors and what are the leading indicators that's gonna drive us to be a safer company and then focus training on those opportunities. Great, Ryan. Our company's been an early adopter of some technologies, uh, most recently disc brakes on the drive axles. So we have uh, six wheel positions with, with disc brakes on them. Uh, it took a lot of training for the, uh, our commercial vehicle operators to uh, understand that this uh, is a very powerful braking system that it could throw them uh, out of their seat if they're not careful and, and do some damage. And so we did some extensive amount of training. And it turns out that we ended up having to train most of our, our fleet, uh, most of our, uh, the people that operate our trucks, because we kept switching trucks between drum brakes and disc brakes. And the, the difference in the stopping was uh, extremely great. Uh, and required a significant adjustment in the part of the, the commercial vehicle operator. Uh, I think training is, is uh, on every single aspect of this uh, new technology that's available is, is absolutely critical. Uh, just putting it on the truck won't make it work. Great. Um, and to the audience, as we continue, uh, please bear in mind that we'll have a Q&A session at the end. So if you'd like to submit a question, uh, look for our assistants down the aisle, raise your hand, and get an uh, index card and, and jot down your question. Uh, we will do our best to hit as many as we can. Um, and uh, you, know, you talked a little bit about uh, training, Brian, and uh, you know, perhaps uh, we can have a, a quick conversation about uh, the ways that you guys are, are using technology in the training process. And I know you have a good example of that, uh, Rob. Yeah, we're, uh, we've been very active in using technology to support our drivers from all functions, um, internet-based training, making sure that drivers are comfortable with new technology. So as soon as they walk in the door, we have them on our computer system. We, uh, you know, we make the, our intranet their, their home base, so they're very comfortable around basic technology. We use simulation to put them through every type of driving scenario possible. We don't really call it training, we call it skills development because our drivers come to us licensed and experienced, but we understand that they don't always get to practice uh, the scenarios. Uh, beyond that, we actually have very detailed training on the technology we put on the trucks. So the driver gets a very thorough orientation of the truck and you know, we've for many years made assumptions that a driver knows you know, it's a truck and they've been driving for a long time, they know what to do and how to do it. Um, but we really do put, spend a lot of time showing them how the technology works, what to expect from it, um, how to troubleshoot it, and how, to, how it will support them in their work. Greg, examples of how uh, you, know, you uh, train your drivers to, to be ready to use these systems? Uh, absolutely, much like, like Rob, uh, with the equipment, we spend a lot of time um, getting the employee to know the equipment, understand the technologies in there that are the, there to help them. 
Um, but we really have the foundation portion of we've really leveraged Smith system driving principles. Um, and we have a network of driver trainers at all of our facilities throughout the company. And with our technologies, um, especially the cameras, we understand the behaviors that lead up to it. And it has a direct correlation to the Smith system driving principles that we have as a foundation. So it allows us to go back to those employees and talk to them. And one thing that we heard from the employees is they want training from their peer, a person that's out there. And we have a lot of leaders, uh, national truck driving champions, million mile, two million mile drivers that are really respected throughout the employee work group. And those people have stepped forward because they care about safety and care about their peers to take on some of that, that training opportunities. So the technology allows us to know which behaviors to share, but then it also allows us to focus on the particular person and focus that training and, and engage that person in a coaching session and not a disciplinary session. Okay. Any additional thoughts, Brian, on that? We're very similar. We uh, use uh, computer training. Uh, we have a computer training kiosk in every terminal, and uh, the CBOs that have any violations go through a series of modules that they have to complete uh, and before they can go back on the road. Um, and they, uh, if they miss a safety meeting, they have to make up the safety meeting with one or two other modules, and we go through a series of about 40 retraining uh, opportunities uh, for every CBO in the, in the and you use the term CVO, and uh, perhaps you give our audience a quick explanation of, of your approach to, to the job title of, of your drivers. I, th I think that uh, you know, the job has changed uh, a lot from what it was 25 years ago, and uh, we changed the job title with it. Because I think if you look, draw a parallel, um, there are no janitors anymore. They're custodians or, or building superintendents. There's mechanics are now technicians. Uh, no secretaries or administrative assistants, there's no store clerks, they're sales associates. As the job changes and, and becomes a little more sophisticated, uh, we're not gonna attract new people into this business uh, if we use the same old truck driver job title. So at our company, we changed the job title to commercial vehicle operator, and it's a term of respect we give the people that operate our trucks, knowing that what they do is so much more than just driving. Welcome back. Uh, Neil, I thought that uh, Brian Kinsey's uh, comment about using the commercial vehicle operator title rather than uh, truck driver you know, really seemed to strike a chord with the audience. Um, you know, it, and it really touches on the, the broader theme of driver recruitment and driver retention. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, uh, Volvo, they're involved in some autonomous technologies also. Suppose tuning. They're, they're another company that has sort of encouraged dropping the title just of driver. They look at it, uh, encourage people to look at it more in terms of uh, a highway pilot. Uh, they on their own compare it to flying in an airplane. Uh, the pilots are, are, are in the cockpit, and you're in your seats, and, and everyone's expectation is we're going to land safely. No one is really thinking minute to minute what exactly is going on in the cockpit. Uh, to transition back to, to Jeff Skiles, who gave a very interesting presentation prior to, to joining uh, Seth's panel. Uh, he shared, uh, he, he didn't know Sully beforehand. Uh, he just knew they had their training, uh, and they then are able to do their jobs. Uh, and, and that comes back to this uh, human element here, as much as the technology, knowing what to do. And as he recalled all of the steps that went into this crisis situation, which thankfully ended uh, uh, safely uh, for everyone uh, on board, 
he, he said that he knew what to do. Sully knew what to do. There was very little interaction, direct interaction, discussion between the two of them. That was one of, one of my takeaways from the, from the audience. But they just sort of knew uh, when, when, what step, what one, two, three, what to do, and the next thing they had landed safely, which goes it's not about a team element in this case. It's about each individual person being trained properly on all the technologies and steps. And you saw what the end result was in this case. And as we'll hear in our next clip, the panel fielded some questions about how technology will change the job of the driver and potentially change the skill sets needed to operate a truck in the years ahead, uh, much as the airline industry has already experienced. Um, you know, our, our panelists were optimistic that more advanced trucks and more technology in the cab will you know, actually make the job more appealing to younger people and, and could be a part of the solution to the driver shortage the industry is dealing with. Now, at the same time, more technology also means that drivers will need to know how to use that technology and interact with it. So let's go ahead and watch the second half of the panel discussion to hear what our panelists had to say on these topics. We've, we've discussed many of the systems that you guys have adopted across your fleets to, uh, uh, to help improve the uh, safety of your operations and to ease the burden on your driver. Uh, but how do you go about making those decisions? When you're looking at the technologies that are out there, when you're making your decisions on your investments, and you run your pilot programs. Uh, what process do you go through and, and, and do you have drivers that, that uh, you work with that you, that you know can, can work with these, these, these systems and, and see if they'll be a good match for your, your operations? You know, want to take that one, Greg? Sure. Um, so when we take a look at the, the technology, uh, you know, obviously we formed a great relationship with, with the vendor. We're talking about the strategy and the roadmap that we want to see down the road and making sure that we're moving in the same direction. But we have the opportunity to, to go out to our employee group and we ask for volunteers. Some of them are the you know, uh, aforementioned you know, national champions or, or decorated drivers, but we also ask employees that care and want to know and learn about the, te the technology to try it out. Um, we learn from their experiences with it. Um, we gauge their response. Uh, we set standards prior to engaging that and see how we meet up against that. If we have some positive experiences in driver acceptance, we'll take it to the next level to integrate it into an operation at a, at a greater length with more employees to get more feedback and measure you know, what was the performance to the standards uh, that are goals that we've established. And okay. We've had a lot of success with that. Okay. With that, I'd like to go ahead and, and address some of the questions we've received from the audience. Uh, we have a good one here. Um, you know, what, what is the best way to manage the potential risks of having mixed fleets, uh, trucks or uh, trailers with different levels of technology? So if you have a partial rollout, not across your entire fleet, and some drivers may be using one technology and others using another. Uh, thoughts on that uh, topic? Well, I think, it, I think it plays into the first, in, into the previous question. And, uh, you know, one of the key one of the key things to do when you're evaluating technology is to have a good understanding of your fleet and what your fleet's made up of and what your fleet experience is and what types of issues you're having in your fleet. And, you know, the sheep training of old where, one where all drivers get one type of training is, uh, is long over in our organization and we understand that people do have different levels of experience and, uh, um, and different needs for training and support. So when we tackle the technology, uh, we look in our fleet to say who best can benefit from this technology, um, and you know all the technology in the world is is great, but but you really have to have uh, a firm belief and uh, and conviction in managing the data that that technology provides you. 
um, and that that really uh, that really is how we manage. We we don't have a cross the fleet uh, sweep of of technology in anything we do. We get to target our uh, target our audience. Uh, we bring in people who uh, you know very similar to uh, Greg's comment. We bring in leaders in our business, drivers that have that are tried, true, proven to help us test the technology. But we also bring in people beyond and. We, we set up driver report cards that really talk about how we've tried to influence the performance of each driver. Great. Uh, any additional thoughts on how to manage different levels of technology throughout your fleet, uh, perhaps not across you know, all yeah. our operations? Ours is probably the most extreme. We keep a truck uh, at least twice as long as Rob does uh, because we only run about 85,000 miles a year on a truck, and uh, so we keep them for about six to seven years. Uh, so that the roll-in process of new technology is a protracted, long process. We also have about 40% of our fleet is owner-operators that bring their own tractor and, and use our trailers. Uh, so uh, what we've implemented, since parts of the fleet have different things on them, uh, is a required training process every time a new truck is assigned to a, a particular CBO so that if... if uh, we give the brand new truck to one CBO, and then a year and a half later, it goes to somebody who had a really old truck that was traded out. They have to go through a training process, and most of it on, online, uh, and some of it driving around the yard or, or around the block uh, before they're allowed to, to go back out uh, with that new truck. So it's, it's a uh, kind of a, a process we have because we know it's going to take a while for everything. You, you just can't assume that because you hire somebody with three years experience that they've ever driven anything like what you have. Right. Any additional thoughts on that, uh, Greg? No, very similar to, to both my peers here. Um, we take time to make sure that they understand the equipment that they're driving. Um, we're very fortunate that a lot of our drivers stay with us for a long time, so they evolve through the equipment. Mm -hmm. And um, then they're able to share their experiences in, in operating peer-to-peer -peer when new employees come into the service center. And we've had some dis level of discussion on, on drivers and, and uh, the, the interaction between drivers and the technology. But uh, looking at some of the, the technology that's on the horizon, autonomous driving, platooning, I wanted to ask the, the panel, what do you see, how is that going to affect the driving pr profession? Uh, or or is, it, is this going to widen the driving, driving pool? Is this going to require new skills among drivers? Uh, what do you think this means for, for recruitment and retention? I think the skill set, is, it keeps getting notched higher and higher. It, it takes a lot more skill to operate a vehicle of, uh, appropriately now than it did even five years ago. Uh, and you're adding more and more technology. Fortunately, young people have grown up in this and it's not foreign to them and you don't get much resistance to the use of technology among younger people that I have with my own fleet of, of commercial vehicle operators uh, who average over 50 years old. Um, they are getting older. We're trying to keep them in the fleet longer uh, but as we uh, try to attract newer, uh, younger people, uh, I think the, uh, you know, if we could make operating a truck like uh, playing on an iPad, it would be great, and we'd have no problem attracting people. Uh, but I think that right now, that, that uh, uh, it does require a different skill set that young people have, and we just have to make the job more attractive. Sure. And Greg, uh, what do you think the, the next wave of technology will, will mean for the, the driver pool and, and driver recruiting? 
Well, um, I think you're still going to have to start with the foundation and make sure that they can drive and operate the equipment in, in, in the training. Um, what I believe is that we'll start to see some people that didn't consider driving see that the technology is there to assist them and maybe create that opportunity that they'll want to try it out, do some training, and experience it before they might have said, no way, I don't want any part of that. And I think it will gr create greater opportunities for us as we go forward to attract more people into a, to our industry. Very good. Any other thoughts on that, Rob? I, I totally agree. I think that we, we will be able to draw from a wider base. Uh, there are lots of drivers right now who embrace technology and think that the transition, you know, very similar to the airline, the transitions uh, uh, are, are cool and effective and, and, and really beneficial to them. Um, you know, I, I think it really will put a strain on our training systems and, and force us to do things very, very differently. But I, I see this as nothing but a, but a positive. And as we create efficiencies, take waste out of the system and risk out of the system, you can channel that into how you pay people and how you treat people and, uh, and, and, uh, and how they can supplement transportation. I see this being, being very opportunistic. And uh, Captain Skiles, uh, from, from your experience, uh, has the introduction of autopilot and, and more more uh, technology for uh, the airlines? You know, has that made the the job of recruiting uh, pilots easier or uh, or more difficult? Uh, does this require additional skills, or has it made the job easier? Just to get a little bit of a, an idea of what we might experience in, in trucking. Well, I think that uh, uh, as you you know adopt technologies, and we have. It requires actually a different set of skills, a different skill set. Um, you are a system manager, actually, more so than, than a pilot or a driver. And, and that has its own set of problems, because human beings are not great observers. They're not great system managers. Uh, so you have to develop um, uh, systems around that to, to allow the driver to work well. For instance, this evening, I actually am based here in Philadelphia, and this evening I'm flying to Tel Aviv. It's 11-hour flight, six hours over the water. You're probably saying to yourself, what is Jeff going to be doing at 2 a.m. Over, over the water? But it's actually very complex. Uh, we're every 10 degrees of longitude. We're having to give a position report, plot our positions, make sure we have, uh, uh, we've moved on to our new course because it's not a straight line. Um, there, there's a, a large number of procedures that use this low workload environment for the crew to actually raise the safety level of the entire operation by having these defined procedures uh, that have been uh, created for us by our, by our airline management. So those are the sort of things that I think you're going to have to, that there, you probably have to do a look at a little bit uh, just to keep the, the uh, I don't want to say the interest, but uh, the alertness of your drivers uh, where it should be uh, in, as they become system managers, or system monitors. And a great question to, uh, to each of the panelists. Um, you know, how did you deal with the initial uh, resistance from drivers when you roll out a particular technology? Uh, any particular strategies as, uh, as you make that transition and, and, and first try to, to make that, that connection and, and, and sell it to the drivers? It takes a lot of selling. Um, I think explaining the technology to a lot of these people who are not familiar with it uh, is very important. That you have to understand why it works, how it works, what it doesn't do, what it doesn't take away from them, and how it will benefit them. I think all of them are interested, all the, the commercial vehicle operators are interested in you know, what's in it for me. Uh, and if you can make it say, okay, this will reduce your stress, um, you know, 
It'll reduce your fatigue, increase your alertness, make you feel good when you get out of the truck, um, you know, make up for whatever shortcomings you might have had in the past, uh, and keep you uh, being able to operate the truck for a long career. Um, you get some resistance, I, I think, from everybody to anything, any change you want to make, but all you need is a few to use it and then champion it, and, and they become your salespeople. Okay. Thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, so when we think about that, I, I think we, we start with sharing the benefits, but I think we really led directly with our drivers, say we care about you. We want you to go home to your family. We want you to be safe in the communities that you operate in. These are the things that we learn from our technology and our pilots, um, and we want, you, we want to pass this on to you. And the drivers understand that we know what's going on. You know, through all the technology, we know their behaviors. And you make a commitment to them, it's about coaching, it's not about discipline, and it's about recognition for all the good things that they do. And have had a lot of this driver acceptance for those reasons. And Rob, uh, how do you uh, uh, convince a driver that, that a technology rollout is, is the right thing for your fleet? First and foremost, uh, the rule of thumb in our place is every driver makes it home safely every trip, every time. So, so uh, they come to work knowing that's our mindset. And, uh, and then we share a lot of statistics with them. We, we look at the problem we're trying to attack. Uh, we show them the benefit of, uh, of resolving that issue for them personally, uh, for us as a business, for the motoring public. All of those things mean something to people who work in our, in our organization. So, so uh, and then why we picked a particular technology, what team we're assembling to deal with the integration of that technology and why they're part of the team, uh, how we'll gather feedback, how we'll tweak the training or tweak the, uh, tweak the product. I mean, those are all things that really get people excited about change. I mean, it's not, it's not what they hear at a truck stop with lane departure or, uh, or, or collision avoidance and following distance beeping. It's about understanding uh, the, the situations we're trying to, trying to help them manage. And buy-in is, uh, once you get your senior drivers in, buy-in is pretty good. It's, uh, it becomes a really, it's an investment in them. And I think the, the common theme that we've, we've heard throughout this session, uh, first from Captain Skiles and also from our fleet panelists here, is that um, you know, the driver really does remain the, the centerpiece of a, of a safety program. And uh, the, the technologies that we, we add, the technologies that we invest in, help those drivers perform as, as safely as possible. So I want to quickly throw it back to the panelists for uh, additional thoughts on that. Do you agree with that assessment? And, and is that the, the, the proper uh, strategy? Is that the proper view of a, of a, a good safety program? Absolutely. Uh, just like Flight 1549, uh, if it wasn't for the pilot, that, that wouldn't be a safe landing. Uh, you get to the same thing here. All the technology in the world not properly applied uh, and not adopted and, and used uh, is worthless. The person that sits in the left seat of the truck is the person who actually is your safety program, the, the person who's going to make or break you. You give them all the support you can. They got to feel good about the fact that the company cares about their welfare and their well-being, and gives them the tools to operate safely. Yeah, additional thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah. It's all about the driver. It's about building a culture within your organization that, that safety is, is first. It's investing in them. It's sharing and listening to their feedback, and um, allowing them to really be the leaders and, and own and value safety for 
you know, their, their profession and what they do for their family. Right. And, and you as well, Rob? Um, I, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's exactly that. They're the quarterbacks on the highway and they see, they see and manage the space around them. It's critically important to them uh, that we care about them. They also know that they have a lot of pressure and a lot of respect, uh, a lot of responsibility, and they are already systems managers and, and we're just continuing to add systems on there. And it's a system of roads and networks and technologies and responsibilities, and it's ever-changing. Welcome back, and thanks to the fleet executives who took time to participate in that panel discussion at MCNE. Now that we've spent some time discussing the next wave of technology in trucking, we figured it would also be helpful to look back at how much technology has grown within the industry over the past few decades. Our final segment is an interview with Tom McLeod, CEO of McLeod Software, which is marking its 30th year serving the trucking industry. And Tom discusses how technology has taken hold in the years since he founded the company in 1985. Back then, software was mostly a way to replace paperwork and typewriters while helping fleets just understand you know, what loads are available. And in the years since then, of course, advances in technology and the growth of the internet have revolutionized the way companies use information to improve their operations. And Tom says we're just now start starting to scratch the surface. Well, let's take a look. Well, I'm Seth Clevenger, technology editor at Transport Topics. I'm joined here today with CEO of McLeod Software, Tom McLeod. Uh, we're here in the uh, exhibit hall at ATA's management conference and exhibition in Philadelphia. And uh, McLeod Software this year is uh, marking the 30th year serving the transportation industry uh, since Tom founded the company in 1985. So we figured it'd be a great opportunity to uh, pick his brain a little bit and uh, learn a little bit more about the, the history of transportation management software and, and how we've uh, come to the point we are at today. So uh, maybe you could really quickly uh, provide us a, an overview of uh, all the changes you've seen and the truck technology world since 1985 uh, uh, to, to here in, in 2015? Well, you know, I can't cover all the changes right. uh, by any means, but certainly there have been a lot of changes. Uh, when we started, uh, companies were essentially replacing typewriters. Uh, many things were done manually, uh, and also their operating uh, environment was much different. Uh, re deregulation of the uh, rating and uh, entry into the industry had just right. occurred and it was almost like the Wild West with uh, so many hundreds and really thousands of truckload carriers especially opening up. Uh, LTL carriers suddenly had lost their franchise and the landscape had changed for them and so uh, that was a period of really great change uh, but at the same time, uh, you had many of your, the costs were stable. Uh, fuel costs were very stable for really the first 15 years uh, we were in business. Uh, and maintenance costs were decreasing. Uh, the maintenance cycles were extending. And so many carriers were being supported in that light. The last 15 years have been much different. There have been great fluctuations uh, in fuel prices. Uh, as the EPA regulations have kicked in on engines, uh, the cost of the equipment uh, has uh, continued to rise. So uh, in that era, it's, it's been important that the management teams uh, at the trucking companies mature and get better. And really in the last 15 years, I'd say that that would mark the difference uh, in companies that have done well uh, versus companies that maybe have not done so well. It would be 
the uh, maturity of the management teams and how they've gotten better at using information that they have, and a lot of that has to do with information systems right. that have to do a whole lot more than just print a freight bill and print a check, which right. is all we had to do uh, in the beginning. So. So back to you know, 1985, what was in the market back then in, in terms of software? Was this basically uh, a whole new, whole new world to, uh, uh, to explore? And um, what was the main problem that you saw in the trucking marketplace that needed to be solved when you first uh, uh, started the company and, and offered your products? You know, what, what was the problem? What was the, the issue that you really needed, you know, that the, the industry really needed to solve? Well, it, it very much was uh, simply a move from uh, manual shuffling paperwork, mm -hmm. uh, typing freight bills, typing checks on the typewriter, uh, keeping up with load information on uh, typically a large dispatch pad uh, or sometimes just a regular uh, lined legal pad. Uh, no visibility of what was going on in terms of loads that were available or where the trucks were, where they were going to be available. Um, and this was really true across all industries. Up until the mid-80s, um, computer systems had been prohibitively expensive right. for most companies. And so only the largest enterprises uh, you know, had a computer of any sort, and those computers were really pretty rudimentary devices compared to uh, what was coming along. So uh, in many markets, many uh, industries, it was really the beginning of uh, you know, automation uh, from an information standpoint. Right. Uh, and so for me, it was just great timing, right. great, great time to uh, be starting up. Even the people that had been in the computer industry before were so steeped in the older technologies, uh, many of them got left behind, you know, as, right. as everything really started over uh, at that time. So thankfully I was uh, able to uh, really get in front of some great customers. If we've had uh, anything to uh, credit success to, certainly our, the customers that we've had over the years who have kept us pointed in the right direction, uh, pointed out to us the things systems really needed to do and who have collectively uh, helped us move in the right direction would be uh, a very important secret to our success. Okay, and when did the, uh, I guess the, the dispatch software come along? Some of the, you, you mentioned the early days and automating some of the, the you know, many of the functions that were done manually on, on pen and paper and, and, and computerizing that and, and moving that to software. Uh, when did the, the application start to become more complex uh, to get into dispatch, to get into to, to broader fleet management? Um, was there a, a sort of a, a turning point where the technology became more widespread and, and accepted, um, where you started to be able to offer more and more capabilities like that? Well, from the beginning, um, we uh, allowed load information uh, at the point where that the load was available, which right. is essentially the same point that it's entered into computer systems today. And that did allow visibility uh, for the people at the trucking company that were doing planning. Now the benefit of having it in the computer system is the information didn't have to be re-entered or retyped when you got ready to print the freight bill. It also didn't have to be re-entered when you had to, went to print the driver's paycheck. So there was some great labor savings 
companies were able to grow without having to linearly add administrative uh, staff. But from the beginning, uh, we, we were making the uh, load information, uh, the truck information available from his last dispatch. Certainly that was uh, much simpler uh, at that time than it is now as we, over the last 30 years, have incrementally added lots and lots of features. Uh, we'll turn a, a, uh, the truck red if he's gonna run late now. We, mm -hmm. we didn't do that in the beginning. Right. Uh, we can show you if the driver has enough hours, uh, according to the hours of service rules, uh, to make this next pre-assignment that you're considering. Right. It, was, it was a while before we added that right. function from, from those early systems. Uh, just, you know, initially for the dispatchers, just to be able to see the loads that were available was a big step forward sure. and a big help uh, to improve some efficiency in the beginning. Okay. And um, what about adoption of technology, adoption of TMS systems? Um, you know, back back in uh, in the early days, back in 1985, I, I imagine there, there was uh, probably not very much in the market at that time, and, and if there was, it was probably more proprietary uh, in-house, is that the case? Uh, when did you know, the, this, this market, this third-party market for TMS software really reach a point where, where many fleets were, were looking to adopt? Well, um, many other people had the idea of developing a uh, trucking operations system uh, at that time. It's, at one point, I think I could have named or listed 60 other software companies that offered some form of a package for the trucking industry. Uh, most, most of us at that time were, you know, small regional uh, players. Um, the uh, trucking companies certainly showed a willingness almost from the beginning to uh, adopt a computer technology. I, you know, really, in terms of the sales cycle, it was much shorter uh, than it is these days uh, because the systems were simpler right. and the benefits were fairly obvious. Uh, if you've got, if you've ever watched people type uh, freight bills on a typewriter, you can see it's very labor-intensive, and uh, you know the companies uh, could see the benefit. I didn't even have to show software in order to. Uh, Get a company signed up to uh, uh, install a system. I just I just brought in a legal pad, drew circles to show the information flow, and we'd get going. Uh, these days, uh, the sales cycle is much longer. Companies are really looking for uh, a great deal of sophistication in the system, tracking all kinds of things in terms of uh, billing and automated fuel surcharges and uh, automated accessorials and uh, accessorial pay on the driver's side and various rules for the uh, driver pay, so uh, expecting a great deal more sophistication out of the systems, and that, that continues to uh, bring more efficiency uh, to the companies that are using the systems. Sure, and we mentioned earlier how uh, you know, computer technology started to, to really start to take hold in the business environment uh, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, of course, you look around today, and it's amazing how technology has uh, advanced, and, and we now have com you know, advanced computers in our, uh, you know, in our pockets, and, uh, and you guys at, at McLeod have uh, taken full advantage of that um, with, some, with some of your product releases. How much has the advancement of technology, both hardware and you know, communications technology, 
it really opened the, the pathway for, uh, for, for companies like McLeod to do more for their customers. Well, certainly it's a big challenge trying to keep up with the uh, demands of our customers who are simply responding to the demands of their customers. Uh, it's a big challenge to serve the uh, shippers and the complex uh, changes in the supply chain that are uh, going on. So uh, the challenge of getting that done has helped to weed out our competition. You know, sometimes right. we're facing a problem. I can console myself by reminding uh, Reminding our people that well, this is this is the thing that's weeding out uh, people that we uh, used to compete with. Um, but uh, it is there is a lot more to, to be done. The uh, one of the biggest changes here in the last few years uh, has been how connected uh, the trucking company systems are or should be to other systems uh, that are external. Mm -hmm. um, their customers, their right. other vendor partners. Um, now, the internet, in terms of communication, has really uh, revolutionized uh, our ability to make those connections. Uh, in the, you know, 20 years ago, connection meant dialing up on a modem, right, right. waiting for a connection, hoping the line didn't drop, and, uh, you know, paying very expensive, you know, per minute charges, um, and very slow data transfer rates. So. Uh, certainly in the last 20 years, the uh, communication has been just absolutely revolutionized. Now extending to a smartphone or smart tablet device uh, where the companies are expecting their people to be able to access the information they need and act on it on a timely basis. Sure. And uh, we've also seen you know, McLeod's uh, offerings to, you know, diversify. You guys have uh, products for the, the brokerage market and right. uh, you know, LTL as well. Um, you know, any uh, quick thoughts on uh, you know how you guys have been able to uh, uh, you know what's 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 driven that uh, that that movement on on your part you know, you know beyond the the mere uh, you know uh, desire to expand uh, have you seen you know more and more complexity in the operations and, and diversity in the operations of your customers uh, you know truckload carriers for example you know, with opening a, a brokerage arm right you have more and more customers who who want you know different software needs for different parts of their operations? Yeah. Yeah, I, as I said earlier, I, I just think we've had the best customers in the world who have kept us uh, focused on the highest priorities. Uh, I've tried to keep us focused on things we could do really, really well for our customers and uh, not branch out or expand our product line before we could really deliver what customers required at the highest level. Um, and we. So we've seen um, most trucking companies uh, being pulled by their sh customers, their shippers, to offer more services. Right. So as they've expanded, uh, we've broadened, we've responded by broadening our product line and adding the capability so the uh, transportation enterprise can achieve the uh, integration that they need and bring about even additional f efficiencies by being able to communicate uh, between divisions uh, and then do consolidations uh, at the end of the process uh, in order to uh, have a better view of what's going on from a financial perspective. Sure. But really in, in many ways, uh, even in the last 30 years, uh, I feel like we're just beginning to scratch the surface. Right. I feel like we're just getting started. While our systems are light years ahead of where 
they would have been uh, 30 years ago. In many ways, I feel like we're just at the beginning. There's still so much uh, opportunity and uh, capability. Things we've already had requested and uh, uh, many other things that can uh, bring about additional efficiency and improvement in the way the carriers operate. I'm, I'm really excited about what we've got ahead of us just in the next few years. Well, it'll be uh, fun to see what's on the horizon in the next 30 years. Yeah. Uh, who, who knows? Yeah, the uh, next 30, yeah, should well, we'll be see. even more, more amazing. Great. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Is there anything else you'd like to add on you know, the, you know, the changes that you've seen in the last 30 years and, and you know, where you, you see the, uh, the industry heading and on the technology side? Uh, I think the only thing to add is that uh, the biggest difference uh, between <clears throat> one company to the next or <clears throat> uh, the biggest uh, differences in the, in the way the companies run really boils down to the quality of their people. Yeah. Everybody really has access to the same technology. Uh, and we certainly see our tools implemented. Uh, we see a wide variation on how well a company may use what's there. So uh, we offer training programs. We offer consulting and guidance to help. Uh, at the end of the day, it's really up to the companies as, as to how well they perform. And certainly we're, we're rooting, and that's, again, where I credit our customers having such a big uh, impact and playing such an important role in helping us to be where we are today. Great. Well, it was great to hear from you, Tom. I appreciate you taking the time to join with us, and uh, I'm, I'm sure our, uh, our viewers and readers appreciate your insights as well. So it's great to catch up here. Thank you, Seth. All right. Thanks, Tom. Welcome back. As we heard from Tom, the industry has been moving toward automation for decades, both in the back office and increasingly in the truck. Seth, as we've seen throughout this program, uh, there's been a lot of inspired talk about uh, autonomous technologies and, and these safety systems that, that are currently available. Uh, I, Daimler, uh, Freightliner's inspiration truck, uh, they called it inspiration in the hope that it would create this conversation. I, I think they've succeeded, not only on their own part, but the entire trucking industry, and, and even beyond that, uh, I think it's really led this year, these last six months, to a, a conversation about not only trucking, but over-the-road transportation, what the future of it is going to look like. Uh, I think we're, we're just at the cusp of this right now, much as Tom shared what uh, things were like when he got started. We may look, uh, look back 30 years from now at 2015 at this year of transition in terms of the acceptance and growth of some of the technologies we've discussed today. And we'd like to thank all of our guests, as well as our sponsors, PeopleNet and Skybits. Our next Live on Web will again be live. It will take place December 16th at noon Eastern, and it will feature a look at what's ahead for the industry in 2016, as well as a look back at the highlights from 2015. You can watch a replay of today's program anytime at liveonweb.ttnews.com or on your, our YouTube channel, or if you prefer to listen, it's available as a podcast on iTunes. If you are interested in more content like this, we're offering a special free Transport Topics trial subscription Go to liveonweb.ttnews.com slash subscribe. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.